You go ahead and take your Bible. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. If you manage to make it in here without one, or if you, oh, I left it on the coffee table or something. Um, we've got the ushers are coming forward to hand you a Bible. If you didn't get a, um, a bulletin, uh, you've got one of those as well. And a pen. If you need any of those things, just kind of wave as they're walking to serve and help. Um, thank you, Justin. Appreciate it. Um, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. You want to turn in your Bible, your copy of God's Word, to that First Peter chapter one, starting in verse thirteen. And yes, if you would come and read the Scripture, starting verse thirteen through verse twenty-one. As we're sorry, as we're as we're going through that, that's that what she was waiting on. Yeah, as we're going through that, we're going to be looking and seeing, looking and seeing how God calls us to put our hope fully in the grace that is to be revealed in Christ. Put our hope fully in that grace and allow Him to. Form our affections, our desires, our person according to his, his personality, his character through this word. First Peter verses 13 through First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is the word of the Lord. So uh, of the many, there are many joys uh, that I get to take part in as, a, as one of the student ministry guys, uh, as a family ministry, that's what, that's what my, my role is here. I get to go and do lots of cool things with the students. Um, so we sometimes we go bowling, we do things like that. Other times we go and do more adventurous kinds of things like Camp Eagle. Yeah, there's a few, yeah, okay. We get excited about that because it takes all year to prepare. And for some of us, it takes all year to recover. Um, now, a few years ago, uh, you, you may remember my first year here, this is, I've been three years now this month, but three, a few years ago, my first trip there, uh, they have this amazing uh, uh, 3,000 foot zip line, right? You have to hike and hike and hike and hike, and then you climb up and up and up and up this creaky, sound. It's, it's really safe, but it sounds and feels like you get to the top of that little platform thing and it's, you feel every little movement with the wind and it's of course the top of a hill and so it does blow a little bit. Um, it's, and of the many things that I don't particularly care for, uh, one of them is heights. I just don't I, don't, I don't, I don't like it. I don't know why we would, if God had given us wings, then that would have been fine, but he didn't. And so I like firm ground. Amen. I like firm ground and I like water where I can see all the way to the bottom. I just prefer those things. And I don't like the opposite of either of those things. And so a couple of years ago, a few years ago, my first time there, I didn't really have the option. I was too heavy to get, I was, I was way above the, the, um, the weight limit, you may know that, you may not, but I was heavy and I, was, I didn't really have, it wasn't a thing. I was like, I can't go, easy, no problem. 
This year, though, I didn't have that option. And so it was like, well, now I have to make the decision. And like, you can't show weakness in front of students. They smell blood in the water. They eat you alive. You know that. If you've got kids, like, you know, you can't show any weakness. And so I climbed up the thing with the thing strapped in the thing. And when it came my turn, thankfully, the only other person in the top of the tower was my, I think, my daughter, because we were the last ones to go. And so she's the only one who saw, like, okay, I'm going to... I, you want me to, to look at this one little thread of metal that's going to take me 3,000, my whole person into this little thread? I, I don't care for that. I did manage to get on it, however. And so there was that moment where I'm just like, I, I'm on the platform. And then there's that other moment where I'm like, I'm not on the platform anymore. Right? You know what that feels like. Yes. I know you do because you're sitting in a chair. Y'all are all sitting down. There's a moment that you, at some point today, put your weight from your feet into the chair you're sitting down in, and if the chair didn't hold, what was going to happen? Gone to the ground, right? The chair's there. Thankfully, it held you up. Praise the Lord. Thankfully, the zipline held me up, and I'm, not, I'm here to tell the story. But here's the thing. You know what it's like to put your hope fully in something. And you, if, if, if what we're trying to do is put our hope fully in the graces to be revealed in us, then we're not going to be trying to put our hope in something and then also have like fail-safes, right? The, the little trolley had another clip, and then there was another clip on top of that, and then there was a net in case I couldn't hold on to the trolley and it didn't somehow catch me. It, super safe. Don't worry about it. But the point is that well, there's no backup plan. There's no backup plan for eternity. Like there's no backup plan for your future hope. And what Peter's saying is in light of what God has already done, Look at what he's done. And in light of that, place your hope fully, fully and completely in the grace that is going to be revealed to you in Christ Jesus. You've already seen some of it. You've already seen and experienced some of it. But put your hope fully in that grace and let your Father conform your ways to his. The thing about these, these commands in this passage of Scripture and in other letters in the New Testament, like you always get to a therefore, and we haven't, I'd love to just teach the whole book every time. We can't do that. Um, so we're picking it up in verse 13. The first word there is therefore, and we, of course, as good Bible students, want to know what the therefore is therefore, right? Well, what has he been talking about? What does he talk about in verse 3? What does he talk about at the very beginning? He talks about blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has done this amazing thing, right? According to his great mercy, he's called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So he's not just saying, here, do the things, He's saying, look at what he's done. Look at what he's already done. And in light of that, place your hope fully in the grace that is to be revealed to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's ransomed you from some things and to some things. And first, if you've got the notes here and you're following along in your notes, you see in the first section there, he's ransomed us to a grace-ignited mindset. Grace has ignited a certain kind of way of thinking that he calls us to, a grace-ignited mindset. This grace-ignited hope in Christ has changed the way that a child of God thinks and is ever-increasingly changing the way that a child of God thinks. You might have a note in your Bible uh, that may be helpful to you that says, it also means that the Greek there is girding up the loins of your mind, which is super helpful if you grew up in the King James Version. Um, but for the rest of us, that doesn't really mean a ton. Maybe we don't do a whole lot of girding loins these days. So what, what he's saying is like rolling up your sleeves, putting on your work boots, get ready for work. This is not going to be easy. Go ahead and, and it's going to require a, a certain kind of thinking in your mind, a certain kind of action. Get your work boots on thinking-wise. The next leg of your journey is not going to be mindless. 
It's not going to be it's super easy. Living as a child of God is not going to be merely an intellectual exercise, but it's not going to be unintellectual. It's not going to be anti-intellectual. Right? It's not going to be only feelings-oriented. Being properly heavenly-minded requires us to, to use our minds as well. Another way that Peter uses to express this idea of preparing your minds for action, these are, these are parallel, is to be sober-minded. When we think of sobriety, we only think of like not drunk. Okay, well, yeah, that too. But he's saying, no, you need to understand what's going on. Understand both what's been done and the situation in which you live. You are an exile. You're a sojourner. You're not home yet. There's, it's going to be difficult, right? Keep your head on a swivel. And he's going to say several things. He's saying there's going to be challenges ahead. You've got your own flesh to deal with. There's going to be trials that you have to go through. That maybe you've already gone through. There's still the enemy who's prowling around like a roaring lion. You're going to meet him again in chapter 5. There's going to be work that's actually required of us because you need to prepare your mind to be able to give an answer for the hope that is in you. And so there's, you can't, it's not just going to happen, right? The resources also, but the resources come from God, the God who sent us Jesus. And if he sent us Jesus, how much will he not also give us everything that we need? The resources are not ours, they're his. And so who we are to be has everything to do with whose we are, right? That's a New Testament reality. All of the do's are connected to the be's, right? You be, be who you are supposed to be, and therefore in light of that, do what I call you to do. You are your heavenly Father's children. God the Father has revealed Christ in the flesh. He's raised him from the dead. And he's done this and glorified him in these last days for your sake. The angels are not over this, even to this moment. The kind of preparation and meditation required to make this way of thinking your own, however, is not going to just happen. It's not going to be super, super easy. And the world and the flesh and the devil are going to fight against you tooth and nail for every micron of that grace and that growth. For some reason, we think, of, we think in our culture of things that matter, things that are real, as things that are just, they just sort of happen. Okay? We think of, uh, think of how we speak of uh, falling in love, right? It's, it's as though you were walking in a, across a parking lot and you fell in a hole, right? You just sort of, it just sort of happened to you, right? And anybody who's had a relationship that lasted longer than a tic-tac knows that's not how it actually works, right? I mean, you have, it, requires, it actually requires a good bit more relational energy for you to build a relationship with your, your barista. It doesn't just, even that just doesn't happen. You have to make eye contact and make small talk and wait and tell them your name and watch while they spell it wrong and all of that, right? Seamus here, guys. Never get it right. But the point is that it takes, it takes effort, like you don't fall in love. You don't, your relationships don't just happen. They require investment. And just because it's difficult or because you don't really particularly feel it at any particular moment, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that it's, that it's wrong. And just because he calls us here, gird your minds for action, be sober-minded, he's not saying just force it. Because if you have to, because in our culture it says anything that you have to force is, is wrong. It's inauthentic. It's, it's not good. No, he's saying prepare your minds for action. This is not going to be necessarily easy. It's not going to be automatic. He's going to call them just, uh, sorry, Josh, next week we're going to look at verse 22 and following there. He's going to call them to love one another earnestly. How do you command earnest love? He's, he says to do, walk in this way. He's going to tell them to long for pure spiritual milk, down in chapter 2. 
How do you long? How do you command longing? How do you abstain from the passions of the flesh? In other words, how do you call somebody to do the opposite of whatever it is you think that you're supposed to be doing? Now, whatever you're feeling, that desire, do the opposite, right? How do you endure sorrows while suffering unjustly? Because it's not going to feel fair, right? He does, he's calling them to all of these things that are hard, and none of them are going to happen simply by going with the flow. None of them are going to feel like falling into a grace-ignited mindset. So how are they going to do these things? Well, he calls them. He says, therefore, what just happened? In light of this great mercy, in light of this great gospel that has been given to you, revealed to you now, live in this way. We prayerfully, dependently leverage our minds and our energies of our minds so that to, to think about what he has done for our sakes so that it ignites a thoughtful obedience. The more we allow our thinking to be shaped by what he has done, what he calls us to do is going to simply make sense. It's like, like what happens in Romans chapter 12. He, when you get Romans 1 through 11, he's talking about gospel, 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 gospel. Therefore, in light of the great mercies of God, live as a living sacrifice. That only makes sense in light of the great mercies of God. When he says, therefore, here, he's only, that only makes sense in light of blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's caused you to be born again. Look at what he's done. And that's not just going to happen to you. So Christian, does God's grace revealed in Christ shape your thinking? Shape your thinking. Mom and dad, listen, your children need the grace and the patience that Jesus has extended to you to temper your tantrums as well. He's not calling you some sort of therapeutic mindfulness He's calling you to have your words and your tone sobered, challenged, aligned to the grace that he has revealed for you as you're caring for those who are under your care. Sister, dear friend, when the one who comes to you for counsel needs Christ, needs Christ's grace to have become so overwhelmingly satisfying to your heart that you can, you just, the only thing that you want is to get them there. It's so beautiful and wonderful. All I want you, I just want you to, to taste and to see that the Lord is good. They need you to plug into the grace that is revealed in Christ so that they can hear and be brought to that same grace. That's what they need. Small group member, fellow sojourner. Your fellow sojourners need you, need the overflow of your soul level meditation on God's word to have a sober-minded believer to emulate. They need to have somebody to watch. They need to have somebody to follow. And our, relation, our relationships need to be reconciled according to this mercy. Our, the way that we speak, our grace across the board needs to be completely changed by the way that he has, by, by what he has done. And so here's the question. How has God's grace, how does God's grace revealed in Christ need to be shaping your thinking today? How is it not? How does it need to be? Because he's ransomed you to a grace-ignited mindset. Second, he's ransomed you starting in verse, you look at verse 14, we will look together. He's ransomed you to a grace-ignited holiness, a certain kind of way of living. He talks about as obedient children, obedient children of the heavenly father should seek to live out their family resemblance and be holy as their father is holy. <laughs> children are as a consequence of their immaturity, just sort of driven by their desires and their passions. It's just right there on the surface, right? 
if I were to take a young, like say 16 to 18 month child and put them right here on the platform, which I'm not brave enough to do while I'm trying to preach. But if I, if I did and set them there and said, here, stay in the chair, ah, stay, in, stay, stay in the chair, right? It'd still be there, but you can imagine how they would be. They'd be squirming, they'd be kicking. They would say, he just said, stay in the chair. So I'm going to be more He's turning around. They'd be doing the thing, right? Because they're kids. Because there's no distance, there's, 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 no, there's a very small veneer between the thought and the thing. There's a lot of reasons why we do not say S-N-A-C-K until we're about to hand that to a kid in Crossway Kids. <laughs> right? Because as soon as that's, that's all that's happening at that point, right? Because there's a very small distance between thought and action. They're driven, led by their desires. They're, they're conformed to the desires that they have. If I were to set Pastor Seth or, or Pastor Eric over here and say sit, right? Just sit here, just sit here and chill out. They'd just kind of like, right? It would be a difference. You could tell the difference between, say, an 18-month-old child and a man who can sit here like a grown man, right? Very different. And he's not saying, don't be a child. He's not saying, don't. In fact, he says, as an obedient child, walk in this way. He's just saying that as an obedient child has his desires shaped by the desires of his father, live like that. Yes, children are shaped and they're conformed to the, to, to the desires of their heart. This word passions here is not always bad. The desires that you have in your heart, if they're, if they're leaned into and, and, and aimed at the right things, they are good if they're the things that God loves. So what he says is aim those things at the things your father loves and as an obedient child, walk in this way. What does your father love? What's your father like? He's holy. He's holy. He's set apart. He's, he is perfectly without sin. He is holy. He says, live like you're obedient. Live like an obedient child. Let those desires be shaped by your father. So when he says in verse 11, and when he says here, be holy for I am holy, it's not just a bald command to just, just do as I say, right? Because I said so. Peter is saying, you're not ignorant anymore. Now you know of the grace that we brought to you with the revelation of Christ. Let that grace ignite a holy conduct in you as you mimic your heavenly father as an obedient child. As an obedient child. He called you in an effective way, made you his child. He's not just saying, do as I say. He's not saying, it's because I said so. He's saying, be like me. Be like who I've made you to be. A wise teacher once said that he just, over the years, had just come to realize that his students were never going to get all the information that, they, that he wanted them to get. Not going to remember all the dates. Not going to remember all the details. Way too much information. They're going to write it down. Maybe test on some of it. Maybe not. But they're just not going to get all of it. What they remember is what they're passionate about. But he said what they, what they get is what you're, they can see you're excited about. right? Which is why in the fall, on Saturdays, at the Drake House, no matter whether it's in Indiana or in Texas or in Alabama or wherever, on Saturdays in the fall at the Drake House, we dress up in Crimson Tide red and white. Not because I have told my children that the most important thing that's happening on Saturday, because I try to downplay the importance of college football. It's just, I mean, it's just, it's just a game, right? But over the years, they've come to see not that it, they, they see that it's important to dad. Because dad likes to, he, lo- he likes to sit and watch. It's fun. I grew up in Tuscaloosa. I came by it honestly, by the way. So they just know that it's something that's important. And so, yes, we all come down in our crimson and white. And I've got one son who dresses up like Big Al. We've got our own mascot at my house. Because it's important to dad, right? Here's the thing. 
Does the things that are important to your heavenly Father, does that matter to you? Does the grace that you have in Christ ignite a passion for a holiness because that's what dad's like. That's what your heavenly father is like. It's the family resemblance. It's a working out of being the one that you're called to be because of the one who called you. Yeah, he does call you to do. He's calling you to do. He's calling you to be holy. He's calling you to walk in these ways, but it's always couched in what he's already done. He's exploding in praise and saying, look at this, look at this thing that is ours. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, so that you're hopefully on the grace to be revealed to you, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Be holy, for I am holy. This comparison here in verse 14 and 15 is between the passions of their former ignorance on one side and the holiness that God calls them to emulate. He says, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed, and that will ignite a kind of desire, a, a passion to care about what our Holy Father cares about. He's my Father, and I'm His obedient Son. My desires will be ever increasingly, ever increasingly growing into those of his. So is there an area of your life in which you'd say, yes, I'm, I'd say I'm a professing Christian, but I'm struggling to live in a holy way in regards to this, this thing. Friend, don't make peace with that thing. God's command here is it's helpfully and encouragingly instructive. He doesn't just say, stop it, what's wrong with you? Because he knows what's wrong with us. He, he says, be holy, set your, grace, set your hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed and let that grace ignite a holiness, an obedience, a desire to walk like your father walks. It's not solo bootstrap It's not just pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? It's not, it's not just sort of figure it out. You're not bare knuckling it. You're not gonna be able to string, you're not gonna be able to muscle this thing out. No, he says, set your hope on his grace and then temper your doing in his light, right? We've been ransomed to, ransomed to a different kind of mindset, ransomed to a, a grace-ignited holiness. And then last, in this passage, verse 17, verse 19, we've been ransomed to a grace-ignited fear. It's kind of a hard word, kind of a sticky word for us, right? Because we, we don't like that one. Why couldn't he have just said freedom or some other positive, happy thing? If our father here is the impartial judge who ransomed us from our sins by the blood of his only son, he says that's going to cause us to want to conduct ourselves with a certain kind of fear throughout the time of our exile. He's calling us to live in sobriety while we're living in exile, this time of the already not yet. His contrast here is not between perishable and imperishable, who get to that down in verse 22 following. His contrast here is between that which perishes, gold and silver, and that which is truly valuable. Things that perish, things that are truly valuable. The worth or the value of the price that was paid to ransom them from the slavery to the feudal ways that they had inherited from their fathers. He's not telling them to live in terror. He's not telling them fear is not like, uh, I'm afraid. No, he has, he has said he's the impartial judge. He judges impartially according to each one's deeds. Absolutely, and he's not gonna change the rules for you. But, but, your future is as secure as where you've put your hope. And he says that you're supposed to put your hope in the grace to be revealed. And if your hope is there, you don't have to fear that you're somehow going to experience the wrath of God because your hope is in the one who already experienced the wrath of God, right? The hope is, is, is already set. We've got some fine china in my house and uh, we got it for, Chris, for, for, uh, for wedding presents back when people used to do that sort of thing. 
Um, that was, I think I'm dating myself a little bit by exper- expressing it that way. Not everybody still does that, but, but like the whole set, and it's wonderful. And we bring it out every time the queen comes over. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> so it's, it's actually in the china cabinet. Um, sometimes it does come out when I, like when we bring like breakfast in bed for birthdays and stuff like that. It won't be special, right? Okay. Um, and if any of you come over to our house, I, I would love to make sure that the china comes out just so you understand how important you are. But here's the thing. Yeah, okay, that's fine. You can do that. But here's the thing. I, it's, it's just plates and cups, right? It's plates and cups and silverware. I mean, I have, I have plates and cups and silverware that we got from Ikea, like three for a dollar, right? I mean, and, and even beyond, below that, there's like paper plates and plastic cups and, and plastic silverware stuff. Like, that's what we like to eat on because we don't have to clean it. Um, sorry, it's not very environmentally conscious, but I'm just being honest here. But so the thing is, if, I, if I'm carrying a paper plate across the floor, I'm just carrying a paper plate across the floor, right? But if I'm carrying one of those pieces of china, as a grown man, I carry it with both hands, right? Why? Why? Not, not just because it's valuable. It is, is valuable. It, whatever, sell it on eBay as a piece of something. I don't know. It's, it's worth something to somebody, right? It's not just because of what it costs. It's because of the one to whom it is valuable, the thing is, I don't want to have to explain to my wife, yes, we were just playing Frisbee with them in the, in the kitchen, and they dropped it, and uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's no big deal, right? I mean, what kind of a fool would say that out loud? You come up with a way better story than that, right? I don't want to have to face my wife if I've been flippant with something that was valuable to her, right? And that's just a plate. That's just a plate. Here he explains that what you've been ransomed to is ransomed to a different kind of mindset, a different kind of holiness, a different kind of fear. But what you've been ransomed by is the blood of Jesus, like that of a lamb without, without spot. That's where the fear comes in. The fear comes in because, yes, I, I can approach my God as my Father who is in heaven. But it's not that the standard's been lowered for me. He is just. He's the justifier. And he must always be impartial as a judge, and he will be. And he will do what is right because he's perfectly just and he's perfectly righteous. And that means that my sins, the passions of my former ignorance, my futile ways that I've inherited from my forefathers cry out for and will receive justice. And God is holy. And the paycheck for my sin is death and condemnation. Full stop. I deserve death and condemnation. That's what I earned. That was my paycheck. The standard didn't change when we turned the page to the story of the baby in the manger in the New Testament. The just judge of all the earth must and will do what is right. There's no shortcuts. There's no favors. Justice will be served for my sin. And so, while I was still a sinner, God the Son became a little child. He was made manifest in these last times for my sake and for your sake. You were ransomed from the death and hell that you deserved, forgiven because Christ was crucified on your behalf, because God the Son's blood was shed, because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins, because the blemishless, spotless Lamb of God died to cover the infinite bounce check that you owed so that the impartial judge could call you his child and you could call him, the impartial judge, your father. 
Then he was raised from the dead and given glory. And now all who turn from their sin to him in faith are setting their hope fully on the grace that is to be revealed will be saved, saved from the wrath to come, saved from the wrath we deserve, saved from the wrath that we earned. Why do we conduct ourselves with fear? How does this hope, this grace ignite holy, reverent fear? Because of what we know happened for us. What happened for us? And we know what it cost. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, not with trivial things such as china, but the precious blood of Christ. I would never look at my wife in the eye about a stupid plate that I broke, but why, why do I look in my Savior's eyes knowing what it cost and treat it so flippantly? I would never do that to my wife. Why, why do I do that to my God? Blood-bought grace ignites that kind of fear. It's not terror. It's a knowledge of what it cost. Fear the impartial judge who is now, because of Jesus, your Father. We set our hope fully on Christ's grace. We let our Father conform our ways to His. This is not a game. It's not like a a zipline. If I fall off, I die. That's the worst that can happen. The reality is, if 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 I don't put my hope in the right place for eternity... That matters. Perishable, imperishable. Perishable, valuable. If the trolley doesn't catch me, it can probably pick me up off the ground on the rocks, but if Christ doesn't catch me, then I'm lost. Is that where my hope is? Is that where your hope is set? It's going to come a time when we have to face this impartial judge. He can hold us fast. He will hold us fast through the grace through the faith that he has worked in us.